0: Welcome to Always Andersonville, the podcast. I'm Laura.
1: And I'm David.
0: Today we are joined by Alderman Matt Martin of the 47th Ward of Chicago. Elected in 2019, Alderman Martin has spent his political career improving the 47th Ward community that so many of us call home. Before his time working as an elected official, Alderman Martin tirelessly worked as a civil rights lawyer for the Illinois Attorney General's Office, focusing on important issues such as police reform, health care, immigration, and workers' rights. Now Alderman Martin is leading to build a more prosperous and safe community in the 47th Ward and all through Chicago.
1: Welcome, Alderman. Matt Martin, how are you doing today?
2: I'm doing very well, David. Thanks very much for having me. Really excited to be here. Uh, Why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background? Yeah, so I am the relatively new alderman in the 47th Ward. I've been in office for just over two years, um, and it's been a very interesting and, of course, challenging time. Um, Before being alderman, I was a civil rights lawyer at the Illinois Attorney General's Office, focusing on issues ranging from immigration, to police reform, to workplace rights. Um, Before that, I went to law school at Harvard. I did my undergraduate work at Northwestern where I was a jazz musician as well as a political science major. Uh, So a very interesting and fun combination. And uh, I was born and raised in Tucson, Arizona. Um, my parents met while my dad was studying at the University of Arizona and my uh, mom was working there. And so I, um, I, I am not a Chicago native, but Chicago has been home since 2002. And it's a, just a, a terrific place to, to live in, to work in. And I, I love my job. It's been a real pleasure serving the residents and businesses of the 47th Ward.
0: So you came here for school that's that's what brought you to the area?
2: That's right. That's right. So I knew when I was graduating from high school that I wanted to double major in both music and then something academic. I wasn't sure which I wanted to pursue ultimately, but wanted to continue doing what I was doing in high school, which was a good balance of the both. And when I um, was looking at schools that offered terrific double degree programs, Northwestern was right at the top of the list. Great, great music, great saxophone professors, but also a really dynamic political science department that included um, a, a real terrific focus on sub-Saharan African issues. My dad is, is uh, from West Africa, a country called Niger, just north of Nigeria. And so being able to study issues that were pertinent to his home country, um, learning from professors who had spent time in and around Niger was something that was really important to me. And so Northwestern was a terrific fit.
0: And what do you think has kind of kept you in, in Chicago?
2: So a number of things, one, of course, the dynamic arts and culture scene. Um, we, We certainly have a lot of that in Tucson where I grew up, but Chicago is, is completely different. Um, and, uh, it, it's just, it was so refreshing to be able to go hear live jazz music. When I first moved uh, to the Chicago area on a, on a daily basis, um, that was, that was fascinating for me and, and really enriching. It also, uh, presented the city an opportunity to, um, take public transit and just get away get around in ways that didn't always involve cars. And so when you're taking the bus, you're taking the train, you're hopping on the Metro, you can just have a different experience, whether it's someone you're riding one of those um, uh, vehicles with, or, or just being able to read a book, listen to a podcast or music, um, and, and just how culturally vibrant the area was um, and continues to be was was a real, Uh, uh, appealing thing for me. And then lastly, even though I grew up in Arizona, I'm not really a warm weather person. And so today is, it's going to be a warm day, I think maybe upwards of 90 degrees, which is fine. But the seasons is just something that you don't get in in the part of Arizona where I grew up. So I I continue to um, love the first snowfall, maybe not the last one, whenever that happens in April or May. Uh, But I love when the colors change in fall as well. And, And those those spring days where everyone seems to come out of their shell because it's that first 60 or 65 degree day and the city itself is literally in bloom in more ways than one. It just continues to be, uh, something I find really striking and enjoyable being a Chicago resident.
0: Okay. So, you know, um, As a a former civil rights lawyer, what led you to run for alderman and then we'll kind of head into kind of what an alderman does.
2: When I was working at the attorney general's office, I worked on a case um, that involved police reform and public safety. So this was after the Laquan McDonald murder video became public and the Department of Justice under President Obama came in, uh, did a very lengthy investigation, issued a very lengthy report, talking about all the ways in which the police department was not operating in the ways that Chicagoans needed and deserved. Um, I I was thankful that at the time we had an attorney general Lisa Madigan, and this continues to be the case with Kwame Raul, folks who are committed to ensuring that the state can step up when the federal government steps aside, which is what happened under the Trump administration. So um, then Attorney General Madigan um, ensured that we were going to push the city to enter into a consent decree, which has several hundred pages worth of reforms, both big and small, that need to happen with our various public safety institutions. Um, And it was in doing that work that I became increasingly familiar with the ways in which um, city council hasn't always played the active role that we need it to when it comes to overseeing our various public safety institutions, passing legislation that's necessary to change practices. And so I felt that it would be really important to have more folks on city council who cared about those issues, just like how they care about issues involving potholes and resurfacing or tree trimming or garbage collection, the sort of services that people continue to associate with all medic offices that are really important. But just like folks wanna live in communities where the infrastructure is in good shape, where they feel comfortable walking, biking, driving around. Um, issues around safety, issues around affordability, issues around environmental protection and sustainability are also critically important. They help build a sense of community or when things aren't going well, they can, they can uh, uh, represent hurdles. And so I wanted to make sure that I was focused on the whole range of issues that Uh, our residents and businesses in in the 47th ward care about and felt that in 2019, when I ran, it would be a great time for me to um, throw my hat in the ring and and make a pitch to folks uh, about where, what I wanted to keep the same in the ward in the city and where I felt there were areas for growth. And so I'm really fortunate to have this position where I can work on those issues There's still so much to be done, but I'm really heartened with what we've been able to do to to date. As you just reached your two-year anniversary,
1: congratulations. Uh, Can you touch on um, some of the amazing achievements that you've been able to accomplish while in office uh, as alderman of the 47th board?
2: Yeah, there are a number of things that I'm really... Proud about. So, one is I was the lead aldermanic sponsor for an ordinance city council passed that legalizes the creation of new basement units and coach houses. So, before that passed, you would, if you wanted to build one of those, you'd have to go to the, your alderperson's office, get them on board. Typically, that would entail hiring a zoning attorney. Then you have to navigate the city council process if you're able to get the alderperson's approval. Just timely, uh, time-consuming, and costly. And so, being able to streamline that so that folks who want to have an additional income-producing unit, especially if they're feeling the pinch of property taxes, that's helpful. Maybe someone has a loved one who they'd like to come live with them, but in more of an independent setting. That's great. And we know also for our local businesses in areas where we've lost density, especially due to deconversions conversions of two and three flats into single family homes that we need to maintain and replenish that density uh, so that we have the sort of foot traffic that our locally owned and operated businesses need to continue doing the great work that they're doing in our community. So I'm really happy about that. I'm also happy about uh, the ways in which we've been able to work with the community and developers so that when larger new developments along our retail corridors come up um, that uh, we're seeing double the amount of onsite affordability. Um, so instead of 10%, it's been 20%. And we've been able to do that for eight developments to date. Um, I want to make sure that that continues to be a focus of our office because one of our, our important north stars is ensuring that we're maintaining and expanding affordability. Another thing that we've been really focused on is um, environmental sustainability and resilience as well we get more standing water complaints, flooding complaints than any other part of the city. And so we need to think creatively about what we do at the hyper-local level. So that can range from, planting new trees to um, uh, building out our infrastructure more, replacing say our curbs and gutters so that drainage is occurring better. It, it also means clearing out our catch basins more consistently um, from leaves and other debris, especially when street sweepers stop sweeping before the final leaves on the trees have fallen. Um, so I'm really happy with the work that we've been able to do there. Um, and then lastly is around public safety issues. we've We've really brought the community together with a lot of different meetings so that if problematic issues come up, if it's one incident or a series of incidents, or maybe questions that folks have, not necessarily about safety in our specific community, but in other parts of the city, we can bring violence reduction organizations to a meeting to talk with residents. We can bring folks from Area 3 detectives, the 20th and 19th police districts to talk about the work that they're doing. Um, So making sure that we're really talking about ways in which we can um, have the sort of safety institutions that that we need in our community and beyond. And then lastly is the way that we've done infrastructure planning. Um, we, We are including a participatory budgeting process whereby we work with our youth council members to put together a short list of improvements and then have the community vote on them on an annual basis so that the ways in which we're improving infrastructure literally reflects Um, the desires of of residents through their vote. And then also making sure that we're spending more money on improving our sidewalks, making sure that bike and pedestrian safety continues to be a top priority because everyone benefits as a result. We've certainly seen that during the pandemic as more folks are staying closer to home, patroning those local businesses um, that are immediately nearby. We wanna make sure that their experience getting from point A to point B is a really comfortable one and an enjoyable one. And we've made some good progress in that one.
0: Can you expand a little bit more about the participatory budget and the youth council? Can you just explain kind of how that works?
2: So when I got into office, we started up a youth council. Um, So it's a group of uh, students who live and or work in the ward. Um, They uh, are between eighth grade to seniors in high school and they meet on a regular basis and it's a it's very much driven by the the questions and desires of the youth council participants one of the things however that we did put on our on the radar was we want to make sure that they have a significant voice and a role to play in how we're improving the physical look and feel of our community um that it's not just folks who are registered voters or folks who are 18 years and older, but folks of any age who are able to really weigh in on on how our community looks and feels. So uh, over the last, uh, my first two years in office, each year we've convened the youth council to put together a short list of improvements in terms of their perspective. Um, What are things that over the the course of their days, they would like to see improve or change. Um, This this most recent um, iteration, uh, it's been a lot of focus around um, uh, crosswalks and, and other crossings adjacent to a number of our schools, making sure that it's safer for folks to walk and bike there. Um, Folks have also mentioned the importance of of trees. And so that was one of the items that was on that short list as well, Um, planting more trees throughout the ward. And so they put together that short list. We um, use that uh, as part of a survey that we make available to residents in multiple different forms. So we'll put it in our weekly newsletter. We'll put it on our various social media pages We'll um, go to community events and do flyering and go to our senior centers and make sure that we're handing out physical copies. Do the same at our libraries as well as our park district facilities so that we're um, collecting as much input from residents as possible. And we'll say, Hey, here's the shortlist. We will spend up to X amount, say $150,000 on the things that people rank the highest. And so we'll just look to see what, what they want to prioritize. And then we'll, um, we'll, we'll fund things accordingly.
0: And, um, what would you say is, has been the most surprising result of this initiative, this youth council?
2: Um, the ways in which, the issues that they identified um, have been issues that um, older residents also agree with. There's not this, this uh, uh, difference between, well, youth in our community are feeling one way about how we should spend, menu funds or how we should improve infrastructure more generally. And then older residents are, are feeling completely the opposite that there were on, in, in, on multiple occasions, folks saying, yes, I'm, I'm so happy that this was an issue that was identified. And so the fact that regardless of your age, um, you, you often have similar experiences with the, the built infrastructure that, 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 um, comprises our ward and that, um, you want to see things improved um, as a result, regardless of whether you're 14 or 44 or 84. And so it's just been really terrific to see so many youth in our community care about um, identifying ways to improve it and that uh, the vast majority of residents who have had a chance to review um, their short list of priorities are like, yep, we're absolutely on the right track. Let's move forward with this.
1: Matt, the 47th Ward has um, reached over a few different neighborhoods. Could you kind of uh, tell us the geographic locations um, of the 47th Ward and then kind of lead into the items you're working on now to help keep residents and and businesses going and support and resources? What are some of the the items you're working on uh, today?
2: Yeah, so we, in terms of the boundaries of our ward, obviously they change every 10 years after the census um, figures come in. So we'll be redrawing the ward boundaries later on this year. Um, historically, it's covered most if not all of North Center, Lincoln Square, and Ravenswood. And then the uh, current iteration of the ward map includes parts of West Lakeview and Roscoe Village, as well as portions of Andersonville and Uptown. Um, So I, I feel really fortunate that we have so many terrific businesses and chambers because when I talk with other colleagues, oftentimes their offices serve as surrogate chambers And and while we want to make sure that supporting our locally owned and operated businesses continues to be a priority, we are really happy to partner with great chambers who are doing that work day in and day out. It makes our job easier and we're able to be more effective as a result. Um, And so some of the initiatives that we work on, um, I mean, really all of them are informed by what we're hearing from our local businesses about. So as an example, the very first ordinance that I passed on city council was an issue that was brought to my attention by one of our locally owned and operated businesses. It's Jean's Sausage Shop. They're located on Lincoln Avenue, just south of Lawrence. I was doing some, some business canvassing, just going uh, door to door, storefront to storefront, introducing myself to folks because I was, I was new in office and asking, what do you need help with? And one of the owners of Jean said, well, we are not able to sell alcoholic beverages on the weekend, Sunday specifically, during the same hours as a, a large supermarket like a Jewel or a Mariano's. And as a result, there are folks, especially around football season, who either don't come to us on Sundays or they come and they aren't purchasing certain items because they, they, it's literally not lawful for them to do so. Um, that's a problem for us. We're losing revenue as a result. And this, the, the margins in this uh, industry can be very thin. And so I said, okay, I hear you. Let me get to work. Talked with my colleagues, talked with folks at the Department of Business Affairs. And we were able to get that ordinance, uh, introduce an ordinance, and get it passed that lowers the square footage minimum for folks who want to sell alcoholic beverages during particular parts of the weekend so that jeans can have a more level playing field when it comes to um, competing for customers with your larger supermarkets. And so it, that's just an example of what I want to make sure we continue to do, which is listen to what our, our businesses are saying, what they're asking for, and figuring out the, the best way to um, achieve those end results. So more recently, we've introduced legislation to uh, make it easier for folks to have walk-up windows if it's a a place that is serving food, Um, and especially if it's adjacent to particular plazas or or, or places that have high pedestrian foot traffic. um, It's important that we are are are, are given our businesses all the tools that that they can get in order to be successful. We're also working with um, uh, the the mayor's office and other entities around uh, uh, a big package, a suite of uh, business reforms um, called Shy Biz Strong. Um, And one of the things I'm really excited about in there is loosening the restrictions around A-frames to make sure that folks can, um, who, who have businesses can, can advertise in more ways than one, and just make sure that folks are aware of the, the great services and goods that they're offering. Um, so we just want to make sure that oh, whether it, c- it concerns big issues or small issues that we're being responsive to our businesses, their needs in part, because our various corridors are a big reason why folks move to and stay in the 47th Ward. They like walking up and down Clark and Andersonville. They love walking up and down Lincoln Avenue and Lincoln Square and North Center. And so we need to make sure that we're continuing to keep those areas uh, as vibrant because it, it's, everyone benefits as a result.
0: And you, um, you know, talking about Jean's sausage shop and the, and the problems that it kind of happened prior to the pandemic, you know, was just one of the ways that, you know, you see the disparity between kind of big box shops and like the smaller shops. But obviously the pandemic highlighted the, that disparity even more where we saw, you know, our local businesses having to kind of close down and stay shut down while big boxes were allowed to stay operational. Um, how, have, how has the pandemic changed you as a person and how, ha, um, how do you think it's changed the community? What have you noticed?
2: So for the community, I think it's really strengthened bonds that already existed because we've had everyone everyone struggled in one way or another. And some folks have struggled tremendously, whether it's um, contracting COVID themselves, losing a loved one to the disease, Uh, losing part or all of their income for a period of time. Um, And to see the ways in which our community has come together to support one another has been incredibly heartening. Um, Some of the ways in which I've I've seen that happen uh, in in an especially moving way has been how we've supported our our food pantries. Um, So in the ward, we have places like Common Pantry, which is in the ward, um, the Friendship Center, which is just outside of the ward on, on Lawrence Avenue. And they've just been inundated with offers to support financially, with food, with services. So folks recognizing that we need to step up to the plate. If we've been able, if we're in a position where we're managing the pandemic okay, especially financially, we need to make sure we're paying it forward. Because there are folks who say, if you're in the entertainment industry, um, first to close, last to open, um, folks have struggled. And so food security is one of those issues that you don't hear enough about um, because it's oftentimes not as visible as the problem um, exists in practice, but it's, it's something that folks have really come together to support those great institutions. Um, so it's been great to see that, to see also our different organizations shift to a, a, a more virtual way of engaging with one another, whether it's um, our neighborhood associations continuing to cultivate that sense of community or businesses finding uh, new and different ways to communicate with one another, as well as with um, current and potential patrons. So folks have just been resilient in ways both big and small, which has um, made my job uh, easier in some ways, but more importantly, more fulfilling, because I know that there are so many folks who I can reach out to um, to ask for a support from if there's someone else in the area who's in need and we need to connect them with that. When it comes to me personally and how, how the pand- pandemic has affected me, I, I would say I have um, even more appreciation for the job that I have. Um, the fact that day in and day out, I get to work um, to, to, to help make people's lives better, um, to be creative in doing that, um, to just have a job generally and to have job security, at least knowing that I'll, I'll be in office for, for a four-year term. Um, that was something I, I was and continue to be incredibly thankful for, given, especially at the outset of the pandemic, how many folks were struggling financially. And then, the very thankful for my family. I've got two young kids. Um, they one, one is in daycare. Um, the other is, is at our local CPS school. And so for most of the pandemic, they were at home with us. And it was just absolutely wonderful to spend time with them to be able to see them um, grow in ways that I might not have appreciated under more normal, normal circumstances. It obviously was tremendously challenging to help a toddler navigate just becoming a person and then our, our, our older uh, child, Isaac, um, just navigating remote learning. Um, but I just, I just really was profoundly thankful for the relationships that I had, both family and friends, because with all the stress that we've all endured over the last 15 plus months to have loved ones who are constantly there, a source of support is is something that will always be with me.
0: And you mentioned remote learning. Um, And I'm wondering, you know, what kind of shifts do you think that we will make, you know, as a city government um, and the way we kind of operationally handle Handle like should we ever enter into this again, right? And we saw the disparity there too of of the remote learning and the access to the internet, access to technology. Um, kind of, do you see anything shifting or people recognizing that as well? And and for the the children that depended on the school systems for their meals, um, how do we how do you see that kind of you know changing or shaping the way we manage manage kind of crises in the future?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think the ways in which educators and administrators seemingly overnight were able to change, um, the ways in which they were educating our children was nothing short of remarkable. And the fact that folks will just roll up their sleeves and say that we're just going to figure it out. And as needs arise, let's just be as creative as possible, um, was, was, was really important to see because look, as a member of government, elected member of government, I obviously believe in the tremendous potential that especially local government has to improve people's lives in ways both big and small. And so the pandemic was a real test of of that. Um, Did things go as smoothly as they could have? No. Are there changes that we should be making going forward? Absolutely. Um, I think we need to make sure that, uh, access to technology and the internet is much easier than it is right now. So both ensuring that, uh, children have ready access to devices as well as high-speed internet is something that we need to do a better job of providing as a city, knowing that, um, it certainly is possible that we will be, uh, affected again, whether it's a variant of COVID or something new. I mean, hopefully not within our lifetimes, ideally never again, but- we, we have to be prepared for that. Um, when it comes to, to food as well, I think that we were able to be really creative as government in terms of um, ensuring that folks could come and pick up those meals, that when necessary those meals could be delivered and then you could have wraparound um, food offerings for family members because while the food that CPS was providing was typically for um, the, the number of children were, that were at the home, if children are struggling, struggling with food access, um, any parents in the household probably are as well. Um, so I think it's really shine a spotlight on the importance of our, our pantries in particular, as I mentioned earlier, and that we need to make sure we're continuing to support their efforts. Um, and then when it comes to how we want to adopt some of the lessons learned from the pandemic um, in, in broader ways, especially beyond education, I think about who has access to information and meetings and being sensitive to that. So if you're doing things exclusively in person, who are to say from just a meeting standpoint, say you have a development meeting or just some sort of infrastructure improvement meeting. Well, some folks will only attend in person. Some folks will only attend virtually. So I think going forward, we're gonna have to be very thoughtful and creative about ways in which we are doing both, especially for important meetings, so that we can really reach folks literally where they are, as opposed to asking folks to continuously come to us for meetings and information. So being able to um, uh, provide virtual meetings in the ways that we have as a ward office has been a really important learning experience, but also something that I want to make sure we continue offering to folks so that Um, If for whatever reason someone can't physically be at a meeting but still wants to participate or observe in some way, that we make those options available to them.
1: If someone wants to, from the, someone, a resident wants uh, to join into a community council meeting or uh, one of the meetings that you're hosting, uh, what's the best way for folks to tune in uh, and find out that information?
2: Yeah. So um, I, I think uh, several great ways to do it. So if you head over to our website, aldermanmartin.com, we'd strongly encourage folks who haven't done so already to sign up for our newsletter. We send that out every Friday afternoon. It's chock full of lots of important information um, meetings as well as flyers and the like. Um, So that's a great way to stay up to date on what's happening. Um, We also have active social media pages on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So if folks aren't doing so already, strongly encourage them to follow one or more of those pages to stay up to date about things. Folks can also email us info at aldermanmartin.com about any and every issue they have. And then our phone number, 773-868-4747. We're also responsive in that way. So whether it's calling, emailing, swinging by our office located at 4243 North Lincoln, just we're trying to make sure that we're making ourselves available to folks in all the ways we can.
0: And with that, will you tell us um, a little bit about your team?
2: Yeah, so we have a number of terrific uh, staff members. My chief of staff, Laura Reimers, um, manages the day-to-day operations of the office, is the person who takes the lead on responding to emails, scheduling requests for me, as well as some of the bigger policy initiatives that we're doing at the local level, as well as city council. Michael Sewell, who's our director of constituent services, Uh, manages a whole host of issues. It can include garbage collection, tree trimming, um, issues around our parks and public spaces. He's currently out on paternity leave, but will be coming back soon. We're really happy that he's got a new addition to his family and he's been able to take that time to spend with them. And we're really looking forward also to having him come back. Andy Aguilar is our um, Associate Director of Constituent Services runs point on um, uh, various water issues, as well as is our primary primary liaison for our businesses. Um, Last but not least is Josh Mark, who's our Director of Infrastructure and Development. So repaving, um, replacing sidewalks are right in his wheelhouse, as well as development proposals that we get from both a residential and commercial standpoint. Um, So that's our core team right now. Um, We have a group of terrific interns for the summer who we're working with. um, And it's just been a a really terrific group of individuals to uh, collaborate with over the last two years.
0: And we're about to head into, we have some rapid fire questions for you that are a little bit more fun, but before we head into that, What is kind of one thing you would like people to know or understand about the way city of Chicago government works?
2: So one thing that's changed over the last maybe two decades is aldermanic offices uh, do a lot less in the way of directing how constituent services are done. It used to be the case that we could decide when trash was picked up and where um, we would have a lot more control over snow plows, a lot more control over tree trimming, really those core constituent service issues that folks reach out to the office about most frequently, that, that continues to be something that's changing. So it's become more centralized, our city departments, uh, really running point on the day-to-day coordination of that we still work incredibly closely with them, letting them know, hey, here are problem issues. It could be a single issue. It could be a collection of issues affecting lots of folks. Um, So we have uh, great working relationships with all of our departments. But I I do think that um, our offices dictate less to the various departments about what needs to be done and when than than some folks um, might know. And so I think it's just as important um, that our our commissioners, the mayor's office, the mayor herself um, be recognized as playing a leading role when it comes to the coordination and delivery of city services as our Aldermanic offices, where we really have a partnership here. And um, while we're happy to continue being on the front lines of fielding those requests, um, we we don't perform or direct those services ourselves. Um, So we're really in the process as an office and a council figuring out ways in which we can uh, provide better lines of communication and ensure that those services are provided in a more effective and timely manner. And a good recent example being the 311 system that we've stood up. It's, it's working well, it's certainly not perfect, um, but that it provides an opportunity for folks to more directly interface with the city departments that are, are doing the lion's share of this work. Personally,
1: I'm a big fan of the 311 app and I have like 60 requests out. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's super easy and if you see a light that's out, you can just report it. Exactly. <laughs> Rapid fire questions? Are you ready? Okay. Um, favorite jazz musician from
2: Chicago? Wow. Um, I might go with Von Freeman, someone, uh, a a, saxo, a tenor saxophonist um, who unfortunately passed away uh, several years ago, but was, was huge in the jazz scene here, a local icon and legend, and someone who I had the privilege to perform with and, and study with over a short period of time at Northwestern.
0: Yeah, we didn't, we didn't ask you during the main questioning about, about what instrument you play, but you play the saxophone. That's right. You, you have a favorite piece of music that you like to play?
2: That's a great question. So there is an album um, that Joe Henderson, who's another saxophone player, but not a Chicago native if memory serves, um, recorded in the early 1990s. It's called Lush Life, the Music of Billy Strayhorn, who was a close collaborator with Duke Ellington. And I love the way in which he interpreted a lot of those Billy Strayhorn charts and love playing those charts, thinking about how would Joe have played this or how did he play this on the recording and trying to emulate that as as best as possible. Um, So things like uh, Take the A Train, Isfahan are are really wonderful uh, pieces. And Joe did a marvelous job of interpreting them.
1: Favorite jazz hall, either still around or um, memory serve, like Green Mill, uh, Kingston Mines, Blues, um, Talia Hall.
2: I'll list two. Um, So locally, Green Mill, hard to argue with that. Just an absolutely beautiful venue, terrific history. And uh, my, my first experience hearing live jazz in Chicago, if memory serves, was um, downtown um, at the Jazz Showcase. Uh, uh, Joel Siegel, who, who recently passed away, his, his longtime uh, uh, performance venue, which has had a l- number of different locations, but was just a mainstay. If you were someone worth hearing in jazz, especially if you lived in another city and you were passing through, chances are you came to the showcase.
0: All right, well, the city is, is opening back up. Is there anything, what's the m- thing you're most excited for, most looking forward to this summer that maybe missed last summer, or is there anything new you want to experience uh, during a Chicago summer?
2: I am looking forward to um, taking in as much art, including music and theater as, as is possible. We have uh, over the last several weeks really reopened in a rapid fashion, and so I'm not sure exactly how quickly some of our performance venues are going to be able to turn on a dime because a lot of them were planning to really reopen in a more fulsome way in the fall. So um, to the extent they're able to move up some of their timelines, especially music performance venues plays, it's a little bit more challenging. I I just really am looking forward to making up for lost time and consuming as much of that uh, local art as I can. If you could choose one Andersonville
1: business to run for a day, which one would you choose?
2: Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) Oh gosh. Um, That is a great question. I might go with Bar Roma. It's my, my mom lives very close to there. So I have occasion to, walk by and patron it quite frequently. I think it's just such a wonderfully inviting and comforting setting. And at a time when a lot of folks are still feeling stress and anxiety and to like, let's be honest, trauma from the last year plus to have a, a, a place that's just all about taking care of you and comforting you is something that um, I don't think anyone has had enough of over the last 15 months. And so being in a position to be able to play a role in doing that uh, in terms of running that business for a day, knowing that it would be incredibly challenging and stressful in its own way, but um, knowing that you would have uh, dozens, hundreds of folks who are are immensely grateful at the service uh, you're providing um, would, would, would be a great opportunity. Excellent answer. They are just
1: incredible. And you're absolutely right. They treat every guest like you're part of the family. They're amazing.
0: Yeah, it's been great to have them here in the neighborhood. I mean, I've I've been a part of this neighborhood for a while and I've seen the turnover of that location a lot. And it's Mm -hmm. so lovely to have them. And also like their Pomodoro sauce is the best ever. Like I wish that they would bottle that so I could just bring it home with me. (laughs) My last question is going to be a two-parter. I would like to know who has been your greatest source of inspiration during your lifetime. And then also what advice would you give to kind of up and coming people who are looking to enter into the political arena, like the youth that are a powder of your council. like do you see, you know, when you see that spark in someone, it, um, what advice would you give to that younger person kind of, you know, you can see their energy that, that this is something that, that they're gonna get into and enjoy.
2: I think I'll I'll answer that in reverse. So advice, um, suggestions I would give folks, or maybe even just like affirmation because maybe they're already doing this in a lot of ways is find ways to become active in your community in ways that you find really enjoyable. So it should never be a chore, especially if the idea is Um, you're currently in office or you're thinking about running for office, it should be organic. It should be something where you care about this issue, you're passionate, maybe you're curious and you want to learn more. Um, For me, that involved, for example, getting active at the McPherson school community. Shortly after my son Isaac was born, I thought, well, McPherson is my local school. I want to make sure I learn more about it before he goes. And I also want to make sure that I'm I'm playing a role in ensuring that it's the best possible place for him to go to. And as a result, I, I I joined the LSC, the local school council, and and that was a really wonderful and rewarding experience. So just don't, I wouldn't say everybody just go do that to check a box, but do that if that makes sense for you. And I think in doing so, you're going to understand more about the community, what makes it tick, what its needs are, and how you can best help things, whether it's in an elected or non-elected capacity. Um, In terms of who is my greatest source of inspiration, I don't know that I have, at the moment anyways, uh, a a single person. I certainly couldn't find anyone who's had a bigger impact on my life and the way I think about things and interact with folks. And my mom, who is an Andersonville resident, um, she raised me by herself. And among her many terrific traits... Is the fact that I think that she's an exquisite listener, incredibly empathetic, and always strives to see the best in people, even when they might not be at their best in that moment. And it's something that I, I, I do my very best to keep in mind as I'm communicating with folks in and around the ward, especially it's, if it's about problems where they're very passionate and they're very upset about something, or maybe we, we disagree um, and I'm trying to understand where they're coming from. Um, and even if they're communicating in ways that I'm, I'm, are, are challenging for me, um, knowing that they are at their core good people and we just need to figure out a way to move things forward in a way that, that is, is, is fair. Um, so I, I, I will always um, strive to be a better person in the ways that I find my mom is, um, in terms of how she listens to and communicate with folks, because it's just such an important aspect of my job right now. And it's just the sort of person I want to be.
1: As we're coming to a close now uh, on this interview, is there anything that you'd like um, to say directly to those who are listening?
2: I think it's so incredibly important that folks continue to find ways to support their community in any way that feels authentic. And community, really broadly speaking, we're not just talking about Andersonville or the 47th Ward or necessarily even the city of Chicago. But I mean, just find a way to, to be around other people in a way that you find Comfortable and to just give back and support. So um, it can be volunteering to pick up trash, it can be supporting our small businesses. There are just so many ways in which folks can um, c- continue to support one another, and we're all going to be better as a result. And if anyone is struggling to figure out a way to do that, contact my office. We have lots of suggestions, can put you in touch with lots of folks to make sure that you can find something that's a really good fit for you.
0: Well, thank you, Alderman Martin, for joining us today. It's been a pleasure to have you on. Um, And thank you all for listening to Always Andersonville, the podcast. For more information about the Alderman, please visit aldermanmartin.com. Show notes on today's episode can be found at andersonville.org.
2: Always Andersonville, the podcast is produced by the Andersonville Chamber of Commerce and currently recorded on Zoom. We thank you for your listenership. And if you like the podcast, please subscribe and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting platform. We are also actively looking for podcast sponsors to sustain our projection. Please email us at info at for more information. Thank you for your continued support, for staying active in our community, and for staying Always Andersonville.